Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, uh, is this this oh okay stay there (laughs) Um, so uh, as you probably know um, this is the last full day of this retreat and uh, it's it's just so uh, such a um, a privilege and uh, inspiring to uh, to see this process. Charlotte and I were were talking uh, uh, at, and just um, earlier today about how how wonderful it is to be present for uh, your process and just to see once again. This stuff really works. I don't know where you are right now inside, and maybe you might have thoughts, well, did it really work? Uh, But it does. It works. And it was just so moving for me, and Sharda was saying the same thing, just seeing how um, one after another, uh, whether or not you went through difficult times or wonderful times, each person seemed to be learning and growing and opening. And there was uh, often a a spirit of tremendous gratitude. It naturally happens that the heart opens gratitude for yourself, gratitude for life, for being alive, and uh, and gratitude for for the guidance. it's amazing. I, I've tried to figure out for many years how to start a retreat on the fourth day, but uh, I, haven't, I haven't quite figured that one out yet. But going through the, the difficulties and the, the struggles and the settling in and uh, settling down and the learning to hold with patience and kindness, all of those challenges, somehow the heart naturally begins to open and the mind begins to get a lot more space and we see things that we don't normally see in our daily life, particularly if we have stress. It's so hard for the mind to see clearly under stress. So this is this is a, a de-stressing situation. And the power of mindfulness is that it opens up and creates a sense of spaciousness so we can see more clearly and get in touch with the wisdom that's in there all along. You know, when we take refuge in the Buddha, that's what we're doing. We're taking refuge in that place that knows and that... Um, connects with the truth and that is loving and by and large um, it's it's a process that um, I have tremendous confidence in so uh, I want to talk tonight um, about um, one way to see this process is a, a very magical alchemical formula and I call this talk transforming suffering into happiness sounds pretty good doesn't it (laughs) that's what you're doing in many ways that's what 
how this process works in a very, um, when you understand how the mind gets caught and how it gets freed, we are doing this in every moment that we're mindful. And I want to um, base this uh, presentation on um, the understanding of the second foundation of mindfulness, which unfortunately we didn't have uh, enough mornings to include in the, uh, in the meditation instructions, um, but it was alluded to, Sharda had mentioned it, and I think it was mentioned a couple of times. The second foundation is that of Vedana, the feeling tone of experience. Vedana. And it is a key to understanding whether or not you were consciously cultivating mindfulness of Vedana. You were doing it without you realizing it. And this is a key to this magical transformation. As we have said, this quality of feeling tone is uh, really the flavor of experience. In every moment, there is either a flavor of pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neutrality, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. That pretty much covers the territory, would you agree? Um, and it's not that it's bad or wrong or right when it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. It's just the way it is. Whether or not you're a beginner or a Buddha, there is that experience of pleasantness, unpleasantness, and neutrality. How we respond to that flavor is the key to determining whether we're creating more suffering and more happiness. And just before I go on, I, I want us to just uh, get a, um, an immediate experience of Vedana. One way you can do it is just sit and notice whether this moment is one of those three, and then this moment, and then this moment, and this moment. That's one way to do it. You can just take a chunk of time and explore. There's other ways to do it too. When it is very unpleasant to notice, oh, this is unpleasant, and the same for pleasant as well. But uh, just invite you for a, a moment to uh, close your eyes, go inside, and for the next oh, little while, uh, just notice whether your experience as you go inside um, is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. One moment after another. And it might be all pleasant for the whole time. It might be all unpleasant. And it might also change. So just notice starting now. And you might just say to yourself, pleasant, ple unpleasant, name it right now. Okay, you can come back, join me. <clears throat> um, how many people um, experienced that it was pleasant the whole time? A few, okay. How many people experienced that it was unpleasant the whole time? Okay, how many people noticed that it changed? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not looking for the right answer, but isn't it interesting how quickly 
it changes. You know, oh, this is pleasant. This is pleasant. It's kind of boring. Unpleasant. Unpleasant. Uh, oh, here we are, just quiet. Pleasant. Pleasant. When is this going to end? Unpleasant. <laughs> like that. Now, usually, we are going through life continually experiencing this without a clue. And mostly, when we aren't very attentive, we have a reaction when things are pleasant. What do you think the mind tends to do? Let's keep it here. How do I hold on to it? This is called grasping or attachment or greed, all the same continuum on that spectrum. When things are unpleasant, what do you think we tend to do? Push away, aversion, hatred, ill will. <clears throat> and when they're neutral, we tend to just space out. Not very interesting until it becomes boring and then it becomes unpleasant. You know, or maybe there's a pleasant moment that pops in. Those three responses are what are called the roots of suffering. Attachment, aversion, ignorance, also known as greed, hatred, delusion, the big three. Grasping, pushing away, and not seeing clearly. When we are mindful and present, and perhaps you know this experience for yourself, when we are experiencing a pleasant sensation, sometimes, especially if you are training your mind and your heart this way, you simply know it as pleasant and may even delight in experiencing it. It doesn't mean you can't experience it, but knowing that it passes, there's not that futile attempt to hold on to experience. And so you simply know, oh, this is pleasant, this is pleasant, this is very pleasant, pleasant. But there's not that grasping or holding on to changing experience. When the moment is unpleasant and you're mindful, perhaps you've seen this. Instead of reacting with aversion, I don't like this, how do I get rid of it? I'm stuck now, I'm never gonna get out. It's just, oh, this is hard right now. This is an unpleasant moment without that reaction. How many people have seen that capacity to be with an unpleasant experience in a, in a non-reactive way? Have you noticed that? Yeah, see that? That's a very profound alternative response. And when it's neutral, not really capturing you know, our attention with some fantastic peak moment, we can also be here for something as neutral as the breath. Oh, in, out, in, out. Oh, hearing, oh, hand moving. And we're here for it. And we're clear about what's happening. How many people have noticed that? Okay, good. Those are the three roots of happiness in Buddhist thought. What's called non-greed or non-attachment, non-hatred or non-aversion, and non-delusion non-ignorance, non-delusion. More positively 
stated, non-greed can be expressed in letting go of the grasping, or even more um, positively, a positive expression, a generosity of heart. Non-hatred, non-aversion, is really the same as a friendliness with the moment, kindness with the moment, loving kindness. That's what is cultivated in that ability to be with something that's unpleasant and we can be friendly and say, okay, and this too. I don't have to recoil against it. I can welcome this too. And non-delusion, that clarity, another way of saying it, is wisdom. Those are the three roots of happiness. Non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. Also known as um, generosity, or letting go, a kind heart, and clarity, or wisdom. So, this is no small thing that, especially if you realize that in every moment there is this Vedana, these flavors of experience, when we are mindful, we are cultivating the, the roots of happiness, and when we are unmindful and we get into a reaction to that flavor, we're cultivating the roots of suffering. With me so far? So, I want to explore a bit these three areas and these three pairs, both here in the, uh, in the formal practice and also how it uh, is expressed in our life. You are leaving tomorrow. <laughs> so we might as well uh, include that in this um, understanding and know that what you do here, every moment that you're mindful, you are weakening habits of greed, hatred, and delusion and cultivating habits of generosity, kindness, and wisdom. And those seeds that you've been planting here for these days have very profound um, results. They bear fruit. And it's been, as I said, uh, lovely to see just in these few days how the mind and the heart can open. And you might think, oh, and then when I leave the retreat, then it's, it's all over. No, don't. Don't think that. You've been planting very potent seeds that will keep on sprouting and blossoming and bearing fruit over these next weeks and months and even, uh, even years. So, uh, greed or uh, grasping and non-greed. Mm. It's amazing how quickly the mind can grasp on to the pleasant. And it grasps on, even when you're having a great time and you think, oh, uh, this is good, the mind can be grasping on and afraid that it's going to go and it keeps you from actually experiencing the pleasant. That's a story that I that many of you have heard that I, I share. Uh, that's just coming up, so I'll share it again. Of my son, uh, Adam. I think I mentioned him uh, the other day. I, I mentioned him, didn't I? No. Did I not? Yeah, so Adam is, uh, is now 31, and he is a teacher in his, his own right. Uh, after many years of saying, you know, Dad, that's your Buddha stuff, keep it to yourself. And now he's, he's saying, Dad, if you're really serious about getting on with your awakening, get on with it. Yeah. Yeah. 
we have a great we're going to be teaching a, a day long uh, uh, later on uh, this month at Spirit Rock so uh, he was two two and a half uh, and he was down at, we were down at Yucca Valley the retreat center that for many years uh, we teach at uh, during the spring and um, it was snack time and uh, I was with him alone in the staff room with a big bowl of strawberries, his favorite food. And there he was just, you know, big, luscious, organic strawberries. He was like stuffing them in his mouth and the juice was coming down his, his cheeks. And I wanted him to learn to eat mindfully, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody else on the retreat was eating mindfully. Why not? teach him, give him an early start. So I was saying, hey, Ad, taste that strawberry in your mouth. Taste. And he wanted more strawberries. And I said, go ahead, ta just taste it. It tastes so good. And there's this one moment, indelible in my mind, I held the bowl out of his reach, and he had this big strawberry in his mouth, and he goes, strawberry! <laughs> There was the human condition, right in front of me. And that's what we do while we're afraid that the peak experience is going to go. We miss out on it because we're toppling into the future. And that grasping mind and heart is contracting and keeps us from the joy that's right there. There's a, a cartoon I love, um, a cartoon of, of Calvin and Hobbes. I'm sure most of you know Calvin and Hobbes, a great strip. Calvin says uh, in the first frame, here I am, happy and content. Second frame, but not euphoric. <laughs> Third frame, so now I'm no longer happy and content. I'm unhappy and discontent. My day is ruined. Last frame, I should have quit thinking while I was ahead. <laughs> That's what we do. And in this wanting, we get caught in missing out on the strawberry and the sweet moment. And really, it's just this, this habit of grasping that we don't even realize, looking for something. I had a, many years ago, uh, I was uh, sitting on a retreat, and this is before I met my, uh, my wife, Jane, we've been together for 38 years, and it's a really good relationship. This was before we together, we're together. And on one retreat down at Yucca Valley, there were about 150 people there. And out of 150, um, it's, it's common to have what's called a Vipassana romance, or VR, where somebody just catches your eye, and you know that they're just your type, right? And you can go through a whole fantasy and dating and courtship and marriage and family and the whole thing, and you haven't said a word, right? <laughs> so on this retreat, out of 150 people, there was clearly one person that caught my eye. But there was also a second person, not as much as the first, <laughs> There were four. <laughs> and I'd be walking, doing walking meditation. Oh, there's number three going by. <laughs> this is true confessions now. Right? But what I, why I tell this story is that on this particular retreat, at, just as luck would have it, number one left the retreat in the middle of it. All of a sudden, the Zafu was gone place was gone. Where did they go? I felt bereft for about um, an hour or two. But then what happened was uh, I didn't keep on thinking about them. Everybody else moved up a notch. <laughs> and it was so clear it wasn't that object there. It was desire looking for something to land on. It was really illuminating. When 
you know, like a little kid says, I want, I want, I want, and they don't even know what they want. They, I want that. Yeah. Well, that was it. We're all little kids, little boys and girls in big bodies, you know. And there it was. Oh, desire. Oh, that's what's happening. So, um, this is painful. And there's an alternative to it. And that is non-greed. Which is the joy that comes from letting go. It was so... uh, uh, so lovely at the beginning of the retreat when we did that cell phone ritual. How many people um, missed their cell phone a lot who turned it in? One hand. How many people, how many people did not miss their cell phone who turned it in? The joy of letting go. Space. And you probably, if somebody would have taken your cell phone in your daily life, you said, oh, my cell phone, I don't have it. What am I going to do without it? The joy of letting go. It feels, the Buddha talked about it as uh, nekama, uh, is the Pali word, N-E-K-K-H-A-M-A, renunciation. He talked about the joy of renunciation. Doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, does it? But it's simplifying and just putting down the baggage and discerning what you really need from what you want. There's endless wants and there's not that many needs. So this joy of letting go, in the moment that you're mindful and there's that wanting And then you see, oh, it's okay. I can do without this. I was speaking to somebody uh, in an interview and I understood this this compulsion that they were sharing to just look as somebody's walking by. Have you noticed that? If I don't look, I'm going to die and see who this person is. And on one retreat, I just played a little game. Okay. I'll notice when I do look how satisfying that is, maybe for two seconds. And then what happens when I don't look? And 10 seconds later, even though it's like, oh, I really want to look. It's like the uh, 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 Ulysses and the sirens tie me to the mast, you know. And then it's gone. It's like, oh, I... It's gone. So gone. So this joy of letting go and a a more uh, powerful expression is the joy of generosity. How wonderful it feels to share. When we don't have others to share our joys with, sometimes it feels lonely. We want people to share with. You ever have a really great ice cream cone and some you're with somebody and they're on a diet and you say, oh, you got to try this. And they say, no, 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 no. Oh, you really have to. You know, not too big a bite, but go ahead, try it. You know, Because we like to share. We like to share good books and movies and things that we like. And we like to share. The sharing of our stuff is the currency of our connection. Mm. Think of something in your house that somebody has given you that, you know, that's there. Uh, or some a sweater that you've been given, whatever. And uh, you feel that connection. I have a cup in my bathroom given to be, uh, given to us. It was, it's the last of four remaining cups from our wedding 36 years ago. And every morning, oh, hello, Roger. Hi, Francis. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So it's the connection that we have, the stuff that we share. Mm-hmm. And in our life, there's a really great feeling of giving and contributing. A line I love from Shanti Deva he says, uh, when we're in that we understand awakening, it lifts us above poverty 
into the wealth of giving to life. I love that line. Or Martin Seligman from Authentic Happiness. He says the real happiness that he found in all his, he's the father of positive psychology. The real happiness comes from finding what our strengths are and offering them as gifts to the world. And it's something I just want to spend a few moments before going to the next one on the power of making a contribution in this world. This world has, I don't have to tell you, so much suffering, so much ignorance. And it needs our caring. And if you see the practice just as finding peace within yourself, that's a very limited understanding. This is from A Challenge to Buddhists by Bhikkhu Bodhi, the great translator of all the the Pali Canon uh, discourses of the Buddha. And in this essay, which you can see on, read online, he says, if Buddhism in the West becomes solely a means to pursue personal spiritual growth, I'm apprehensive that it may evolve in a one-sided way and thus fulfill only half its potential. Attracting the affluent and the educated, it will provide a congenial home for the intellectual and cultural elite but it will risk turning the quest for enlightenment into a private journey that in the face of the immense suffering which daily hounds countless human lives can present only a resigned quietism. The special challenge facing Buddhism in our age is to stand up as an advocate for justice in the world, a voice of conscience for those victims of social, economic, and political injustice, who cannot stand up and speak for themselves. And I'll include the planet Earth in that as well. This, in my view, is a deeply moral challenge marking a watershed in the modern expression of Buddhism. I believe it also points in a direction that Buddhism should take if it is to share in the Buddha's ongoing mission to humanity. This is the full expression of our practice. And it's about you sharing your practice and making a difference. This is from Lily Tomlin. She says, I always wondered why somebody doesn't do something about that. And then I realized I was somebody. So as one of my teachers, Andrew Harvey, says, follow your heartbreak. See where your heart is breaking and do something, whether it's those close to you or a bigger kind of cause. We need as much consciousness as possible. As my my friend uh, Roger says, we're in a race between fear and consciousness. We need all the consciousness we can get. And this is your expression of your practice. So, non-greed. Every moment that you are letting go, you are also cultivating this open-hearted generosity, this spirit of giving and caring. Non-hatred, non-aversion, or... Love, kindness. It hurts to hold on to hatred. And anger is certainly a part of the human experience where it's not realistic to, and not healthy to think, oh, you should never get angry as... uh, when inspiration, uh, Julia Butterfly Hill uh, says, if you're not angry or outraged these days, then you're asleep. But what do you do with that? Does it poison you? Does it create more bitterness inside of you? Do you just create more uh, hatred with your responses? Or is there a way to turn that into love and caring 
the image that the Buddha gives is holding on to hatred is like picking up a hot coal wanting to hurt somebody and throw it at them, not realizing you're the one that's getting burned. And so to somehow learn to open your heart to the difficult and open your heart to the, the difficult people as well. It's one of the categories in the, the metta practice. Starting with opening your heart to yourself. As you probably heard many, many times on this retreat, kindness is the key. And if we can't be kind to ourselves, we're not tapping into that well of goodness and love that we want to share with others. So it starts with ourselves, just seeing who we really are. And perhaps you've been seeing that as we've gone through these days, maybe even just a glimpse of goodness and kindness and sincerity. That's what starts to unthaw the heart, to just see your goodness one one um, practice that I have, we don't have time for it now, but that I strongly recommend, my own watershed moment in loving kindness was when I had a, an intensive period of loving kindness and I was doing a week for myself. Oh, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. It was, it, was, it was okay, it wasn't great. And all of a sudden I in the middle of this week, I, somebody came to my mind who I knew really loved me. And I said, this would be so much easier if I could just see what they see. And then I asked myself, what do they see? Why do they love me so much? You might just check it out. Think of somebody who really loves you, who really cares about you, and just see what do they see? Maybe we'll just do for a few moments, bring someone to mind who you share a loving connection with. It's just fun being together and a warm connection. Let yourself feel that. And then just imagine looking through their eyes, their vantage point, and see why do they like being with you so much? Notice all the qualities that touch them about you. And just see, they wish you happiness. Do you deserve, does this person that they care about deserve to be happy? Yeah. And just wish some for yourself. Oh, may you see all the goodness inside. And be happy. And then let your Awareness come right inside from your own, within your own body, and just uh, give that to yourself. Oh, may you see the goodness in there. May I be happy and peaceful. Okay, you can open your eyes. It's a very interesting thing. We're the last ones to see what everybody else sees. But if you met yourself from the outside, somebody who had all those qualities, you'd be saying, what a neat person. Wow, where have you been all my life? You know? But from the inside, it doesn't feel quite the same way. So it starts with yourself and really getting who you are. And, I, and I, it's been, again, beautiful to see that more and more happening with uh, with so many people in this retreat, just a glimpse of, oh, I'm okay. You know, when I had that watershed moment, it wasn't like I was some kind of amazing human being. It was just that I came down to seeing, you know, you're okay. That was it. That was all I need. You know, you're really a, a decent guy. Who knew? Uh, uh, that's all you need. But it starts with yourself, and then 
the more you can feel it inside, then the more you can feel that connection with everyone. This is uh, from Lewis Thomas, who wrote this uh, wonderful book, Lives of a Cell. He says, I maintain, despite the, most, the moment's evidence against the claim, that we are born and grow up with a fondness for each other. And we have genes for that. We can be talked out of it, for the genetic message is like a distant music, and some of us are hard of hearing. Societies are noisy affairs, drowning out the sound of ourselves and our connection. In hard of hearing, we go to war. Stone deaf, we make nuclear missiles. Nonetheless, the music is there waiting for more listeners. We have a, a world where there's so much hatred just based on making, creating an other. The Buddha talked about how the mind works and how the heart works. He didn't say, this is how this class of people's mind works. You know, oh, this is how this race of people's mind works. He said, no, take a look at this laboratory that you've been issued to understand the human experience. And the more you understand this one, the more you see how it works for all of us. But we have this disease of othering because for whatever reason we don't feel safe or we receive lots of messages that, um, that we um, take on and believe, oh, they're different, I'm not safe or they're, they're doing something that creates difficulty for me. What a shame. And we do it not only with people that we don't know, we do it with people that we do know, and even with people that we're close to. Isn't that interesting? You know, a brother and sister can be fighting but if somebody from the outside starts picking on your sibling, you say, hey, wait a moment, you know. And it's the same. We have this, when we are close with people, we seem to rub up against, because one mind is difficult enough to train and tame. Two makes it that much more complicated. But to see through that kind of agenda that we have for people and to see, oh, it feels so much better to love. Here's a, a little exercise the, um, to distinguish between um, metta and the near enemy of metta, attachment. Close your eyes for a moment. Think of somebody that you, that's really important to you. And this can be a complicated relationship if you want. And just first, get in touch with how you really want to see them happy. You might see them happy for a moment and just see, oh, I really do want you to be happy. And maybe see them smiling back at you. Oh, thanks. And just notice how it feels to wish them well inside in your body and in your mind, in your heart. And now for a moment, think of how it feels when you want something from them, when you don't want them to disappoint you or blow it. And you have an agenda for them. Notice how that feels inside, in your body, in your mind, in your heart. I won't leave you here. Take a nice deep, deep breath. Clear the slate. And once again, wish them well. Go inside and go back to that first one where you just want to see them happy and be at ease and have a good connection. May you really be happy. Oh, thank you. 
and notice how it feels. Okay. You see a difference? In a moment, the very person who you open your heart to can be someone that it closes when there's an agenda. Metta, the near enemy of metta, is attachment. One, um, uh, I, came, I met a, a really wise young woman, 13-year-old woman uh, in Trinidad. Uh, her name was Lael Ann. And she said, um, I think I'm working on uh, an invention that uh, I think can um, lead to world peace. I said, oh yeah? That caught my attention. And she said, uh, yeah, it's called a perspective helmet. You put it on, and as soon as you put it on, you can understand the perspective of the person that you're talking to. I said, I'll invest in that. If you can figure out how to do it, I think you're on to it. Because that's where the problems start. As the Dalai Lama says, if somebody is upsetting you, chances are they're not trying to hurt you. It's just that their internal reality is intersecting with your internal reality in a way that does not match up with your hopes and expectations. But everybody is walking around with their own internal reality, sure that if everybody just saw the way they did, it'd be fine. Don't you ever feel that way? Why doesn't everybody see the way it, it is? Unfortunately, they're walking around with their internal reality as well. But to have a perspective helmet and to just see, oh, what goes on in there with their conditioning, with their experience, with their genetics, with their all kinds of conditions? We can't understand another's perspective, but we can imagine and let our hearts open not with hate, but at least with understanding, compassionate understanding. So, non-greed, non-hatred, a spirit of love, and non-delusion. I just want to, before I go on, underscore every moment that you are mindful of the unpleasant, you're cultivating that heart of friendliness and love. Non-delusion. And uh, Shard and Howie both have uh, given some uh, lovely words on seeing through this sense of self <clears throat> as, as it's said, the the three characteristics that lead to awakening, non-delusion, to see clearly, understanding and realizing for ourselves, everything changes. Anicca, you know, anicca, vata sankara. All things are impermanent. Holding on to that which is impermanent is a setup for suffering. How could it not be? If you're trying to hold on to changing experience, this is not going to be a very satisfying endeavor. As Joseph, our teacher, says, it's like rope burn. Remember when you were in gym, you ever go down the ropes and whoosh, ah, you got to let go. You know, if you're in a tug of war and whoosh, all of a sudden it burns. Holding on to changing experience is suffering. And the third, we ourselves are that changing experience. Seeing through the solidity of self there's a tremendous freedom that comes. And 
uh, again in uh, the the meditation this morning where Howie was kind of pointing to just the awareness that sees everything coming and going where you don't have to take ownership of the experience. My anger, my sorrow, my joy. It's just all coming and going in the space of awareness. And to even claim the awareness is yours is kind of missing the point too, isn't it? Like he said, can you shut it off? Can you not see me if your eyes are working? Can you turn off your awareness? I don't think so. Can you not hear these words if your ears are working? Awareness just shines through. But to say, my pure awareness is better than your pure awareness doesn't make any sense. You know? My unconditional love is better than your unconditional love you know, or not as good. It doesn't make any sense. It's just life shining through you. And when you really see through this sense of self, it doesn't mean that you disappear. Sometimes people think, oh my God, what if I really get no self? Am I going to vanish? No, it doesn't work like that. You can still play the game of being you, but you play it from a whole lot lighter point of view. As a, here's a, a little... Um, exercise that uh, I, I love that points to this. Just close your eyes for, again, one, one more exercise, one last one. And uh, usually we think of ourselves as nouns, as a person, as somebody. Okay, here is me. And now shift from that noun perception and instead of thinking of yourself as a noun, relate to yourself as a verb, as a field of activity with all kinds of systems happening, circulatory, digestive, nervous, muscular, endocrine, thoughts and emotions coming from who knows where, and there's no one place in there that you can point to and say, that's me. It's all just a continual flow of experience. You're a verb. Okay, you can open your eyes. So you're both a verb and you're a noun. You're a pattern of life called you, but you're just life expressing itself through you and as you start to see yourself through that lens you can play at being you instead of thinking it is the only show in town it's not like life is happening just to you life is happening through you and right now life is speaking to itself through this voice and many other ears and hearts and the separation starts to lift. And as you can start to tune into that reality and you let go of this sense of needing to protect and defend and get approval and aggrandize, there's a real freedom, like I said the other night, to study the self is to forget the self and be intimate with all things. And then you can start to hear the truth right inside because the mind isn't caught in trying to figure everything out and wrapped in, how am I doing? Oh, the truth is right inside, right in there. And that's what we're, we're learning to do. Another profound byproduct of this non-delusion to instead of figure out with our, our small minds, we're listening to the truth inside. It's right there. You know, the, the uh, Tibetan image of Milarepa 
you can always tell it's Milarepa. He's he in the in the uh, Tibetan iconography. He has his hand to his ear and he's listening to the songs of the Dharma. That's what we're doing. We're learning to listen to life instead of beat it or win at the game. That Buddha that you took refuge in at the beginning, it's right inside if you can listen carefully enough. And you've been doing that, so many of you this week, just hearing the truth inside instead of trying to figure it out. Here's a poem. like Howie yesterday, by Dana Falls. Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already Nothing to receive but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward. Just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. One more time. Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be but what you are already. Nothing to receive but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment, just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. A whole other way to understand who you are and how you move through the world. And every moment that you are mindful of experience without identifying with it, without taking ownership of it, my whatever it is, there's freedom. It's just causes and conditions and life mysteriously moving through you. So, this is how we transform suffering into happiness. Every moment, pleasant, instead of grasping, there's a generosity of heart, a letting go. Unpleasant, instead of pushing away, a friendliness and an openness with the moment. Neutral, instead of spacing out and identifying with your experience. Clarity, that sees what's here and does not take ownership of it. Every single moment that you're mindful, you are transforming suffering into happiness. So, let's sit for a moment.
Thank you very much for your attention. And we'll have a half an hour for walking and come back for one more sitting and uh, do a little chanting at the end and uh, just a, an extra little treat for you at the end. Just to tantalize the grasping mind to come back. <laughs>